You are listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus, and we hope that this helps you do just that. Oh, come on, somebody. If you're excited about the gauntlet on your campus this morning, can you put your hands together? Um, well, listen, I know that uh, across the campuses, you guys may not have had the same energy the Anderson Room did, or maybe perhaps you did, but the gauntlet, if you're new with us at New Spring, that is our summer camp, and uh, we, do, we have not been able to do gauntlet since 2019, but that's changing. So this summer, we've got gauntlet happening again. We wanted to make sure you knew about it, so at your campus, you probably noticed it in, the, in your atrium. There's a gauntlet booth area for you to sign up. I just want to say, we opened sign-ups on Wednesday at Fuse. And before we begin today's service, there's already 481 students paid and signed up. So they're already out there and getting in. I'm just saying this quickly. This is going to fill up. So mom and dad, grandparents, if you've got a middle schooler or a high schooler that's looking for an incredible week this summer, you want to go ahead and get them signed up today. Do not delay. I'm telling you, do not delay. Uh, and I want to help you out. We've got a, a side slab right here. All you got to do is take a right... There, that little, that little QR code, go ahead and pull your phone out. You can take a picture of that. Even if you're watching online, you can take a picture of that. It'll take you to the page, and you can get yourself signed up. I want to make a point down here by my foot, down there. Those dates are different than classically, okay? And we're doing this on purpose. There's a little bit of method behind the madness. You may or may not know this, but the state of South Carolina public schools, many of our campuses are in scenarios where there is year-round school now. So we've got ahead and gotten in front of that, and we take our kids on summer camp in June instead of July so that everybody can participate all over the state. So I want to make sure you see that, and then we're going to be at Clemson University, and we're working with them to get all of our campuses there. It's going to be an incredible time. I've been a part, along with several others, of some seriously incredible game planning meetings, and... Uh, I'm just letting you know, you're not going to want to miss out on it. So uh, make sure you're signed up for the gauntlet. Uh, it'll fill up. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to fill up 30% full already before I've even said those words out of my mouth this morning. So I want to make sure you got that. If you're ready for the gauntlet this summer, say, I was ready. All right. If you're ready for the word, open up your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And uh, we're starting a brand new series today. I want to welcome you. If you uh, Just side note, last Sunday, largest attended Sunday since COVID. Well done, everybody. Folks coming back to church, getting in the house of God. So uh, I hope you're feeling a little bit of a crowd at your campus this morning. People are showing back up uh, because the things of God transcend the craziness of man. Amen. And so while you're turning to Ecclesiastes, let me give you a little bit of setup for this. This series, we've never preached Ecclesiastes at New Spring Church. Never been done. Um, but in, uh, in 20 years ago or so, almost, I was just finishing up, uh, just finishing up undergrad, moved to Clemson, South Carolina for grad school, started attending New Spring Church, and I got sent a podcast. Now, back in the day, kind of like that VCR y'all saw in the video, back in the day when it came to podcasts, you couldn't listen to them on your phone. You had to like pull up to your computer and listen to a podcast. And way before Netflix and Disney Plus and any kind of binge listening, I binge listened to 13 episodes of a pastor preached through Ecclesiastes and it changed my life. And so I'm believing it's going to have that kind of impact on many of you, especially if you're like in college, just out of college, you're kind of in this place where you're trying to figure things out. It, it really did shift the way I viewed a lot of things. In, in addition to that, if you're over the age of 35, I'm not going to invite you to raise your hand, 
I am over the age of 35, you're going to be able to amen to a lot of Ecclesiastes because Solomon, who wrote it, he's all over it. And he is just telling it like it is. If you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. That Ecclesiastes is, is really, it nails this. It is kind, but it is not nice. Ecclesiastes is a truth-telling book, and it'll get right in your kitchen. And I needed that when I was 22 years old, and it met me right where I was. And it changed the way I viewed graduate school, my career. I was not married then, but it changed the way I viewed my family. And so Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament. It's one of five books that are considered the wisdom literature. If, you, if you're reading the scriptures and you start in Genesis, maybe you started there, you've got a bunch of history, Genesis, Exodus, you got all the, the kings and the wars and the battles and God's people. And then at the end of the Old Testament, you have the, the prophets or the minor prophets, and it's a lot of that kind of space. But right in, in the middle there, you have five wisdom literature books. Anybody want to try to name all five of them? Anybody got them? The first one is Job, and then you've got Psalms, Then you got Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Solomon. Those are the five wisdom literature books. And these these books, uh, they're not historic in in that they're, they're not trying to tell the history, but they are trying to apply some principles to our life that we can get around. And so, of course, Psalm was written by mostly David, and it's all of these beautiful songs that many of us, if we, we, we've got 150 psalms, and we love the psalms, and we can lean into the psalms, and we can, we can really empathize with the writers of the psalms, because one minute they're, they're worshiping God, and one minute they're being completely human, and oh, you know, where are you, God, and why are things not going my way, and it's just right there. And uh, you know, Solomon wrote the books of Proverbs and Song of Psalms and Ecclesiastes. I want to talk about Proverbs. It's, we're going to do that, actually. We're going to lean into it this summer uh, during the months of June and July. We're going to be leaning into Proverbs. It's going to be really practical, but it's about just being successful. These are just principles in life. It doesn't matter if you're a student, you're a, you're a business owner, you're, you're retired, you're anywhere in between. Proverbs can be applied at any point in life. They're just principles for life and living and wisdom. Song of Psalms, uh, if you're a student in the room, you'll have to ask your small group leader or your parents about Song of Psalms. But Song of Psalms was so intimate that they would not let young Jewish men read Song of Psalms until they got old enough because it's about husband and wife and intimacy. And and it's this beautiful uh, book about love. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's a whole other series for another day. And then you have this, and I want you to get this, then you have this other story of Job, which is 40 plus chapters long about a man who goes through unbelievable trial. How many of y'all remember the story of Job? Remember it? Remember Job? Yeah, lots of you, okay? So Job, and it's just like one thing after another after another in his life where things are coming. uh, And just one of the points I love to point out in Job is that you see Satan has to go to God and ask permission to, to come after Job. So I think a lot of times in life we think that God and Satan are like equals and that there's like this intergalactic battle going on between them. No. Satan is a little minion that has to walk into the throne room of God and say, can I I touch Job? Can I touch his life? And God has to give him permission. And he comes and he asks God for permission because God was saying, "Look look at my world and look at the worship there. And Job... Uh, was one of God's worshipers. And Satan comes to him and says, well, of course he's worshiping you. You, you, You've protected him. You've given him everything. And 
if you just remove your hand from him and let me get at him a little bit, he won't worship you anymore. And God says, that's fine. Go ahead. And so, of course, the entire book of Job is about Satan coming after him. Uh, wind, blight, boils. His, his wife even comes up to him at the end of all of the first couple of chapters. And she says, you need to curse God and die. Right? And, and I'm sure Job, it just probably ran through his head. But, Lord, can I, have, can I have the camels back? You can take the wife away, okay? Can, you know, I'm just joking. It's all jokes aside, right? But here's the whole reason I want to bring this up is Job and Ecclesiastes are the same coin, two sides. The life of Job is about a man or a woman who's had everything taken away and still trusts the Lord. But a lot of times, if you've ever walked through difficulty in your life or you walk through difficult seasons in your life, we can have a tendency to think and believe that if, if I was just born in a different scenario, if I, if I just had a different boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse, if I just had taken a different path in college, if I had just, if I had just taken Bitcoin when Bitcoin got out and, and Dogecoin was going to the moon, if I had just done that, I could have, things could have been different for me. And Job is on one side of the coin and Ecclesiastes is on the other because Ecclesiastes is the story about a man who had everything and still having everything, he says, it's not what you're really looking for. And so if you've got your Bible open, I'm gonna read all 18 verses and then we're gonna jump in and we're gonna lean in because this is so so important if you are looking for meaning or purpose in your life, if you are looking for what is life all about. And by the way, you don't have to be in church today to know there's a crisis of meaning. There's people all over the world that are looking for meaning and purpose. And I believe that the Lord is going to show some of this in the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, if you got your Bible open, let's do this thing. Here comes 18 verses all in a row. We love the Bible here at New Spring Church. So lock in. Here we go. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind, the wind blows south, and the wind goes around to the north, and around goes the wind. On its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Verse 12, I, the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. 
It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. It's a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let's pray. Father God, take these 18 verses that we've just read. And by your Holy Spirit, would you read us? Lord, would you build your church and would you encourage men and women who are leaning into your word and are wondering about meaning and purpose here under the sun. Lord, I pray for anybody who's out there wrestling with life and, and, and wrestling with what, what is valuable, God, that you would meet them right where they are. Lord, would you use me now to encourage your church. In Christ's name I pray, amen, amen. As, uh, Solomon needs a, a cookie, maybe a crumble cookie, he needs, uh, he needs somebody to buy his dinner. He needs, he needs somebody to get him a good cup of coffee. Solomon, man, he is down in the dumps, isn't he? Now, here's the thing I want to do right here is I want you, if you're taking notes, I want to build a profile of Solomon because I think it's important. Let's build a profile of Solomon. Who was he? Who was Solomon? Well, he says right there in verse 1, let's just walk down it. He says he is, he's the king of Jerusalem. He's the son of David. So translation, what that means is Solomon from his birth had the very best. He had the very best tutors, had the very best schooling. He didn't want for anything. I mean, his dad was a king and he's the son of a king. He was a prince who became a king. Like he's got it going on, you know what I mean? Like way more than Charles and Harry and the whole deal. He's got it going on, okay? And he's the king. So here's the other thing. He's, he's got access to it all. And if you recall, Solomon, when he becomes king, he actually gets to ask of God for anything. And does anybody remember at church today what Solomon asked God for? He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask, he didn't ask for power. What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. Come on, somebody. And God loved that, that he asked for wisdom. So he granted him wisdom, and then he gave him all the other things with it, too. And so three things I want to really point out that Solomon has that that we need to wrestle with today is he has wealth on wealth on wealth. He's got wisdom or knowledge up here, wisdom or knowledge, and then he has access to anything that would please him. Relational pleasures, he's got access to material pleasures, anything that is pleasurable, he possesses it. Here's the whole point and what I want to make sure we get is Solomon is beyond us. He is in an unattainable place when it comes to what he had access to. Uh, there's a theologian over in Europe, Francis Schaeffer, who said God lifted Solomon up and he projected him in the future and he was able to be kind of a, a, an adventurer to go out and pursue wealth and pleasure and possession and knowledge and come back to us and tells us that it is a desert, desolate place. That's what Ecclesiastes is. That he gets back there and it's like you, you shot him to Mars and he says there's no life there. There's no life there. 
And so Solomon has gone out there and he has done it. Now here's what it really matters. This is first world problems. I think this book is so important for where we are today in American culture because we can inadvertently think that if I just had more, if I just got the promotion, if I just got the raise, if I just had the right husband or the right wife or the right second wife, if I, if I just had the right scenarios, and, and this is what the world feeds us. And so Solomon, over the course of these 12 books, is going to use a couple of phrases over and over again. I want you to write these phrases down. The first one is the, is the word vanity. Vanity. Everybody say vanity on three. One, two, three. Vanity. Vanity. Or maybe perhaps your Bible said the word meaningless. It's The Hebrew word here is hevel. And I'm going full teacher mode today, church. I hope you're okay with this, all right? The word is hevel, and he talks about it. He says it 38 times in 12 chapters. So you can do the math on this. One of the features of this book. And he's going to call life on earth, pursuing, chasing, going after this. He's going to call it vanity, meaningless. He's going to call it hevel. And he uses a Hebrewism here. Uh, you've heard it before when we talk about the king of kings and the lord of Lords, okay, he talks about the vanity of vanities. Another place you see it is in the tabernacle and the temple. The most inner place is called the holy of holies. So he's saying bring all the vanities of the world together and they all have to bow to this vanity, the vanity of pursuing things under the sun. And so he built there this kind of cyclical image for all of us. Like um, I don't know what you guys did last night, Sunday night, or I mean Saturday night, but the, the last thing that I always do before we like hit power off, turn the alarm on, you let the dog go out, turn the alarm on, get in the bed, and you know, this is like every single night of my life, is we try to do this every time, is I run the dishwasher. Anybody run the dishwasher? Anybody run the dishwasher? That's what I do every night. Run the dishwasher. Waking up in the next morning, it's got clean dishes in it. You know what I'm gonna have to do tonight? Run the dishwasher. Some of y'all are gonna get home from church today and you know what's gonna be waiting on you? Yeah, and laundry. And you know what's crazy? You can have like a, I mean, a banging Saturday when you got all the darks and the whites and no, no kids on it. Got it done. It's folded. It's clean. Man. You and your wife or you're, you know, you're clean. You know what you're going to have to do again? The laundry. The laundry. You're going to have to do it again. You know, okay, right now it's not this case because we're, we're dealing right now with the month of February. But you know what's going to happen? It happens every Saturday for me come, uh, just, I don't know, maybe two more months. Every Saturday, you know what I do? I mow the grass. And it could look great, great. But by like Wednesday, you know what happens? It's going, you're right, Ty. It's right back. I got to mow it again, okay? It is just mowing the grass. Like tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, I don't know what time your alarm clock goes off, but my alarm clock will go off and we will do the exact same thing tomorrow morning that we do every day. You know, I walk to the coffee pot, bun coffee maker, best coffee maker ever. Pour the bun coffee maker water in there. I'll turn the alarm off. I'll let the dog go out. I'll take my cup of coffee. I'll sit down. I'll, I'll have my quiet time. I'll, if I can, go to the gym, right? Right, go to the gym. Come on, somebody. Uh, and sometimes I just think about going to the gym. And it makes me feel better. But sometimes I go to the gym, okay? Go to the gym. I come back. We take the kids to school. Uh, go to work. And then, you know, work. Wherever you work, whatever you do, you'll do the same thing. You'll work, maybe you go to school, you're a college student, you go to school, you go to your cubicle, you go to your workspace, go to your co-workspace, go to your job site, whatever you do, you'll come home at quitting time, you'll eat a little bit of food, 
You'll probably turn on the television. You'll watch either a ball game or some kind of binge stuff. Or maybe you're watching season three of The Chosen. Okay, maybe that's what you're doing. I don't know. Shout out. Or, or and then, you, you know, in our house, we give the kids a bath. We do bedtime stories. We put them to bed. We get in the bed. We turn on the alarm. And you know what we'll do on Tuesday? Rinse and repeat, friends. Rinse and repeat. And that is the life we live, is it not? And so Solomon, listen, Solomon is pointing out this cyclical thing. He's, he's pointing out that it's just over and over again. I, I, I could not help but mention that Thursday, this last Thursday, February 2nd, anybody know what day it was? It's a holiday around here. Groundhog Day. And Groundhog Day has completely changed since 1993 in Bill Murray. It really has. The whole word Groundhog Day has changed because of a comedy. Because on Bill Murray's Groundhog Day, what does he do? He relives the same day over and over and over again. I want to make sure you guys got a picture of life under the sun. Vanity. Can I show it to you? It's a, it's a hamster on a hamster wheel. There it is. This is what you're going to do tomorrow. You're going to get up and you're going to start running. Now, here's what I don't understand. Can we name this hamster? I like the name Harvey Hamster, Harvey the Hamster. I don't know if anybody has anything else, you can just shoot me a DM on Instagram. But Harvey the Hamster, I don't know how Harvey is so big. He's working out so much right there. It's all fur, yeah, it's all fur. It's like my, it's like my dog, right? It's all fur, okay? It's all fur. But Harvey is just going, and you know what? Harvey is going and going and going, and he's going nowhere. And this is vanity. This is human life. Word number two, phrase number two, I want you to write down, under the sun. This is life under the sun. This is what King Solomon is going to tell us life is like under the sun. And he uses all kinds of reminders of this. He says that a generation comes and a generation goes. Show of hands, not rhetorical. How many of you know the name of your grandparents? Show of hands, show of hands, show of hands. All right. Now, keep your hand up if you know your grandparents' grandparents. Now be honest now, don't lie, you're in church. Okay, look around your room. Couple of hands. All right? Now how many of you are grandparents in the room? Proudly, hands up. All right. Now think about this, grandparents. What you just saw is that your grandkids are going to have grandkids and they're not even going to know your name. That's what you just saw. Solomon says generations come and generations go. Solomon says the sun comes up and the sun goes down. Solomon says that the river's running and the ocean's never full. Solomon's saying this whole thing is just a whole bunch of gears. It's the machine and you can be in the machine under the sun and it'll grind you up. But Solomon notes something. He notes that we're all on this search for meaning and purpose, and we can hear this truth today. And I can tell you when I was 22, I read this and heard this and thought about this and realized I was that right there. I was a hamster on a wheel doing exactly what every generation had done before me, following the, 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 the principle of just everything under the sun. I was seeking and searching for anything that would satisfy, that's what we're after. We're after satisfaction. Seeking and searching, satisfaction. And so what we're going to see is Solomon is going to unpack for us the five human senses. And he cuts them all loose. Now, real quick, what are the human senses, the five? We smell, smell, we see, we hear, we taste, and one more, we 
touch. And Solomon is going to pursue with everything he's got. And oh, by the way, what was Solomon's title? He was the what of Jerusalem? He was the king. He's not only going to pursue all of those, he's going to pursue it with all the resources of a billionaire. And he's going to get out there and he's going to pursue taste and touch and sight and smell. And he's going, to, he's going to go after them all and he's going to come back to us and say, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's chasing after the wind. That's the third phrase I want you to write down. If you live this life under the sun. Chasing after the wind. He's saying you're going to be left with a big fistful of nothing chasing the wind. And now, I don't know if this is happening for you, but about this time when the chapter one started being unpacked for me when I was in my 20s started happening, it was I just started feeling, oh my gosh, I am, I've just been in this staging cycle where I went from middle school to high school and then high school to college and then college to I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get a job and I'm gonna find my wife and I'm gonna get married and I'm gonna have kids and then all of a sudden I realized that I was just running that hamster wheel life and I was living under the sun and the craziest thing happened for me. God met me there. God met me there. And all of a sudden, he showed me that we did not have to live this way under the sun, chasing after the wind, having a fistful of nothing. That we didn't have to live a vanity of vanities kind of life. But just to point this out, that this isn't just the things that people in church understand. This is the things that people in culture understand. So it doesn't matter if it's Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, a modern retelling of Ecclesiastes, or it's Mark Twain, America's author, who said these words, most men die at 27, we just bury them at 72. Most men die at 27, we just bury them at 72. What was Mark Twain saying right there? He was saying there's a big old gap between 27 when you realize that you're on a hamster wheel and 72 when you go in the ground. And most people live those decades of their life just hitting rinse and repeat. Now that's, that's kindness, but that ain't nice, is it? That's kindness, but that ain't nice. Mark Twain said about death, he said, he said, I just love Mark Twain. He just meets, meets us right where we are. He said, you know, when it comes to your funeral, he says, people will lament you for an hour and they're going to forget you forever. I mean, think about that, friends. Billions of people on earth and we all love one another and we all think, but listen, I don't know if anybody's actually felt that. You ever felt like that, man, there's this thing in life that just seems like that it is, and here's the ditches. I'm going to show them to you in Ecclesiastes. The ditches, we can slam over to this one ditch, and this one ditch in pursuit of satisfaction and happiness is this ditch of, of fatalism where nothing matters. No matter what I do, it doesn't really matter. And again, this will smack you in the face in your 20s. And you can just dumb it down, or you can, you can medicate it away, or you can numb it up with alcohol or, or numb it up chasing after stuff and you can do that but listen fatalism is there and it will again it'll slam you in a ditch and you'll realize man I, I am one of eight billion people on planet earth right now and there's been billions before me there'll probably be billions after me and nothing matters if you've ever felt like that you need to know Ecclesiastes is God's kindness to you he's trying to get your attention don't settle for vanity don't settle for life under the sun don't settle for a fistful of nothing chasing the wind the other way that we go, and maybe this is probably where I will say I have driven my car of life. 
I don't drive toward fatalism. I got way too much uh, happiness and extroversion for that. I drive over here to this other ditch. It's called humanism. Where I put myself at the center and I try to make my life about me. Come on, somebody. Anybody honest enough to say they do that too? I try to make my life about me. I'm at the center of my own affections. I'm going to build my relationships and my job and my weekends. And it's going to be about me. And I'm going to pursue me at the center of it all. And we drive in this life road between fatalism and humanism and this is the path under the sun and you can slam from one side to the other going back and forth but I believe God wants to get your attention and he wants to get you off that hamster wheel you don't have to settle for those two and so what the Lord will do is he'll give you a sixth sense did you know you had a sixth sense you don't just have the five but God has actually put something in your heart that recognizes it can't be satisfied under the sun and some of you, you've tasted it. That's why you do what you do. That's why you, that's why you pursue the career you pursue. That's why you serve where you serve. That's why you're at church this morning. Is, is, and listen, this can happen to Christians too, by the way. You can just lose track and you recognize, oh my gosh, I've been just going from one side of fatalism to humanism and fatalism to humanism. I'm, I'm pursuing things and it's not working out. It's boring. My, my steak dinner doesn't taste good anymore. Nothing really matters. Or I'm going to try to find the next thing. I'm going to try to purchase the next thing. Maybe the next car. Maybe the next spouse. Maybe the next location. Maybe the next career. And we just go from one ditch to the other until we actually use our sixth sense. And you ready for the sixth sense? Here it is. The sixth sense God wants to give you to get you beyond the sun is the sense of faith. Faith. And you walk by faith and not by sight. And when you walk that way, you start to all of a sudden get in a rocket ship and you get above the sun. And you recognize that there is a transcendence to the Christian life. And you recognize that all of a sudden there is something that satisfies me. And all of a sudden the, the monotony of life, doing the dishes, folding the laundry, wiping the noses, cleaning the bottoms, it actually has purpose and it has meaning and it has significance. And you don't have to be the president of a country to have significance. You can be just a common, ordinary man or woman and find significance in the daily routines of the rinse and repeat. But when you do it, listen to me, when you do it with faith, it changes everything. It changes it all. I want to give you a quote. I uh, background on this, many of you are going to recognize this quote. It's from C.S. Lewis. It came from his work called Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity, if you know the backstory here, a lot of you have probably read it, but Mere Christianity was something that C.S. Lewis actually was asked, listen to me, asked by the British government to go live over the airwaves during World War II because people were really struggling with hope. And so they asked, listen, think about how crazy that is. How wild would it be for the government to ask a preacher to get on the radio and talk about the transcendence of God, but when you get there in the old um, uh, trenches and you're under the sun and life feels, you know what you do? You start recognizing there ain't nothing on this world that's going to satisfy. We need somebody that knows about the other world. And so C.S. Lewis gets on the radio and he does all of these series of speeches. And it later becomes the book Mere Christianity. And he, he was bringing hope to the nation. One of the things that he shared was this quote about satisfaction. Many of you will know it. Here it is. C.S. Lewis said these words. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, 
there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures can satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest it's a real thing. Man. And I'm so, I'm, I mean, I'm so been feeling this sermon for weeks, y'all, because this, this hit me right in my, I mean, right in my guts as a 20-year-old that was chasing. And maybe you're not 20, maybe you're in the middle of your career and you're a 40-year-old. And I just want to encourage you today, you don't have to get off of one hamster wheel and settle for another hamster wheel. That's what a midlife crisis is for a lot of us. You jump off of one hamster wheel and you go, man, this isn't satisfying. And you jump into another one. It's not going to satisfy. I jump out of one marriage and then I jump into another one. That's not going to satisfy either. I jump out of one career and I jump into another one. That's not going to satisfy you need to start walking by faith and not by sight, and you will get beyond the sun. You will build a life that is not vanity of vanities. But here's, here's where I'm really worried about America, really worried about us, is we think because we have access to stuff and we see stuff everywhere because of social media that... If I just had a little bit more money, if I just had one more week of vacation, if I just had a little bit, if I won the scratch off, that's it. If I just won the lottery and we can see it. But listen, Solomon's already been there, done that. And he comes back and he goes, no, it's meaningless. Start living for things that are not right here. Start living for things that are forever. So over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to unpack this entire series. And man, I'm just believing that some people are going to find maybe a major in college that's got meaning to it. Maybe meaning in their career. Maybe meaning in folding the laundry. Somebody's going to get some meaning and they're going to start striping their fescue this year. It's going to be amazing out there in their yard. All right? But here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go home and make an excuse tomorrow and, you know, hey, honey, are you going to help me with the dishes? Why? It's all meaningless. You heard the preacher. Vanity of vanities. Chasing after the wind. No. No, there is some beautiful things that begin to happen when we find this sixth sense of faith. Last quote I'm going to leave you with and we're going to respond. A.W. Tozer said this. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he or she does it. The motive is everything. Let a man or woman sanctify the Lord God in their heart and he can thereafter do no common act. Come on, you got to preach that to yourself when you're standing over that dishes today. No common act. I'm doing this to the glory of the Lord. That's why you're going to hear me say, I don't accidentally say this every time I pray, that the Lord would allow us, when we pray, we do it to the glory of God, for our joy, and the world's good. If you do it, if you fold those socks up and to the glory of God, it'll be for your joy, it'll be for the world's good. You can do no common act in life. And people see it, that shines bright, whether you're working in fast food or you're working in construction or you're working as a stay-at-home mom or dad or wherever you are, you are, you are not made for common acts. One of the reasons that people love serving at New Spring Church is because it provides meaning. People that have a job, a vocation that provides meaning, they'll do it for less than they could go make somewhere else because they don't want to make more money 
Because we've heard Solomon. I'm not chasing dollars. I'm chasing meaning and purpose. That's why, by the way, just a side note, vocation, that word in etymology, it comes from the word voice. Literally, even in the language, we were meant to hear God's voice and then do that with our vocation. I hope you're having a job today that has meaning and purpose. Has nothing to do with where you serve, but why you serve. Don't chase the wind. Let's be a people that find faith and exercise it and walk by faith and not by sight. That's, that's what we're going to be about. I hope you'll be here for every single week of this installment. But for now, I want to invite you to your feet. Let's stand and pray and respond. Our worship teams are going to come. And as they do, I want you to really wrestle with, do you have this in your life? Are you chasing the wind? And listen, you don't, have to, you don't have to be someone who's following Jesus and a Christian. You could be chasing the wind because the, the enemy distracts us. Let today be a moment where you come to the table, Christ follower, and receive the body and blood of Jesus so that you might go back into your work and say, I'm not going to chase the wind anymore. I, just to be honest, I think some of you need to change jobs. Some of you might need to change majors. You might need to do it with honor in your voice and love in your heart as you go talk to mom and dad about it. Some of you need to change majors because you're chasing the wind. Some of you need to call your spouse that you've been separated from and say, I don't want to chase the wind anymore. Some of you need to love your families well, love your kids well, and recognize that, man, I've been chasing the wind and spending time away from my family and man, my kids are just getting older and older and uh, I'm not getting any younger. And you don't want the regret of chasing the wind. One thing happened to me this week, I put it on Instagram, but I opened up my, my Bible last week and my middle daughter had put a little card in there and it said, I love you so much, daddy. And then there's me and her. I've got a beard and she has the largest eyelashes in human history. This is the same daughter who had her ear clipped. If you remember my Christmas story, I just happened to notice that her little brother wasn't in the picture. I don't know why. But let's respond to the word of God today. And let's not chase the wind, but let's build the kingdom. If you need to today give your life to Christ, there's a, there's a cross in your room. You can respond when everybody else moves and say, man, I, I want to, maybe the Lord's using this to pursue you. I don't want to chase the wind anymore. I want to I live for Jesus. Well, he's got forgiveness on offer. He'll remove your shame. If you're a Christ follower today, I want you to come and receive communion. If you need prayer today, maybe you're making some decisions. Maybe you feel like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I need, I need to wrestle with. Then come and let our prayer teams, they, they, have been, they have been pumped up to pray with some of you. They've got faith to lay hands and pray on you and with you to believe for you finding meaning and purpose in everything that you're doing so that you don't do anything that is just chasing the wind. So come and respond. Worship, that's transcendent. Give, that's transcendent. And let's live a life of meaning. Let me pray and then we'll respond. Father God. Thank you today for your word. We've heard it and it has read us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would build your church now. Would you beautify your bride? And, Lord, would you remind us as we fold laundry and we do dishes and we wipe noses and we pay our taxes and we do all the things that just rinse and repeat, that when we do it for the glory of God, that's where joy is found. And that's where the good of what we do really is experienced by everyone around us. We love you, King Jesus. 
Would you come and minister to us now? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina. Okay, one more. Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. 